Last time on Licensed to Parent, we talked with John Roseman about the mental health crisis and how it's affecting our teens. My contention is that it all goes back to the fact that we followed the herd in the early 1970s and we radically overhauled our parenting practices and we fixed something, put the word fixed in quotes, that wasn't broken and we are paying a terrible price for that. We'll continue that conversation today on Licensed to Parents. Hi, I'm Michelle Hill, and I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long, Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host, Trace Ambry, is the founder and director of Shepherds Hill and also the author of The Miracles of Shepherds Hill. Our goal on Licensed to Parent is to take what we're learning each day and share it with you so that you can be better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God. John Rosemond joins us again on Licensed to Parent. And just a reminder, John is a family psychologist, best-selling author, popular speaker on parenting issues. He knows what he's talking about as he and his wife have successfully raised two children, and are reaping the benefits of grandparenthood. And John's simple goal in his career is to help you raise responsible adults. And Trace, before we welcome John back to the program, can you just share again what you are seeing at Shepherds Hill Academy in regards to the mental health crisis among teens? Yeah, well, I... Look, there's a, a marked difference in the kind of kids that we're getting and the parents that we're getting uh, since um, smartphones came on came on the scene uh, back in 2000, around 2008. They didn't really get proliferated, at least with kids, so maybe 2010 or, or whatever. But it's just unbelievable the difference in, in the kids. It's 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 like their 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 critical, constructive, and creative thinking capacities is just kind of. Uh, ebbed away. Um, they they don't they don't understand routine uh, things about mm. life um, that every kid in past generations uh, of teenagers anyway um, just knew they understood even uh, a cursory knowledge of scripture today uh, nope if it's not the the latest greatest uh, social media sens- sensation uh, they're not really up on it and um, it's really sad it's concerning and and. Uh, I don't know that that's the single problem, uh, but it's. I think it's the single most critical problem going on today. You know, you got sex, drugs, rock and roll, but you always had that. Yeah. Well, John, welcome back to License to Parent. You know, it was just last week that we said we would have you on in the future, and here you are. Here thanks I am. for joining thanks, us. John. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. I always look forward to the opportunity to talk with you guys. Well, as do we. And last time we were talking about, uh, that's kind of the theme of these two programs, uh, your concern about modern mental health uh, influence on the family, uh, our culture, the kids themselves. Uh, and you don't seem to have a lot of use for uh, what's going on in the mental health business, I'll, I'll call it. Uh, the- you know, Trace, um, there is statistical evidence, a clear uh, unequivocal statistical evidence that advances in cancer therapy, cancer detect- detection, cancer therapy have um, reduced the mortality rate from cancer. There is absolutely no statistical data 
supporting the notion that the mental health professions and and the proliferation of uh, mental health professionals since the 1960s has reduced uh, the mental health problem in America, which is today, especially among kids, a crisis. Yeah, there's an argument that it's actually maybe contributed to it when you figure in all the SSRIs and side effects from drugs and then more drugs taken to mitigate the side effects of the first drug. And it's, I see it all the time. And you know what else I see all the time here, John? Kids are getting off these things. And uh, I don't want to get into a, a, a topic that I'm not an expert on, but uh, it, with epigenetics in the equation, we know that outside stimuli, uh, any outside stimuli, positive uh, uh, or negative stimuli, is affecting kids at the cellular level. And so I, I think I can speak with confidence that the stimuli the kids are getting in their year here is affecting their DNA. I don't, I don't think there's any, any dispute in that. Matter of fact, uh, it was the Surgeon General who just recently came out with uh, some information about that in, rela- in relation to the whole uh, smartphone epidemic. And I do think it's an epidemic when you when you put in the hands of every, virtually every uh, kid, uh, teenager uh, specifically, but kids who are old enough to spoon feed themselves or uh, actively engage in these things too. There's, there's, it's affecting them. But um, I want to, let's go back to the, the mental health field here for a second because a lot of parents, that's their first go-to option when juniors not, behaving himself. One of the most popular questions in modern psychology from a doctor to his client is, how does that make you feel? Uh, Can you share your thoughts about this common question in mental health? Well, let's be specific to children for the moment. Um, One of the things that I tell parents all the time is the more you talk to a child about his or her feelings, the more feelings the child is going to have. Mm -hmm. And... um, Uh, the mental health professions beginning in the late 1960s began to um, create the impression that proper parenting was uh, significantly, if not all, about um, being able to properly translate the meaning of a child's emotional output and properly respond to it. And it's interesting that this uh, people, post-1960s people, in other words, people who were born in the 1970s and beyond, don't really have an appreciation for this. Um, My parents never talked to me about my feelings. I talk to people my age constantly about this. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by um, the issue uh, cross-generationally, and people my age consistently, and I mean uh, 100% when I ask, did your parents ever have a conversation with you about your feelings? Their response typically is a burst of laughter. And then, John, I don't think my parents were very interested in my feelings at all. At all. Now, that may sound to some listeners to be, oh, that's too bad. But the fact of the matter is that in my generation, child mental health was 10 times better than it is today. 
The Bible says clearly that it is a parent's job to help children control their feelings, not express them. Exactly right. And uh, the mental health professions have placed emphasis on helping children express their feelings. And this has been another mental health disaster concerning child mental health in America. Mm-hmm. You know, last time we talked about Ben Shapiro's uh, classic line, facts don't care about your feelings. Uh, is it too callous for a parent to use uh, that statement when dealing with an overly sensitive child who's, uh, you know, overreacting to you know, whatever, a bad grade or, or whatever, uh, for, for mom to pull that card out and say, or dad, hey, look, facts don't care about your feelings. You have to work harder. Uh, the fact is you're going to have to work harder to get some better grades. So uh, you know, put your nose to the grindstone, or is that too rough? Well, I don't know that children would understand facts don't care about your feelings. But uh, <laughs> I, I remember my mother saying to me when I would come home, and I was probably, you know, to be honest for the moment, um, I was probably what would be called an overly sensitive child. And I remember my mother telling me, um, you know, things like, uh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the comments that she would make to me on a, on, on a fairly regular basis because I remember hearing it. Yeah. And I remember it being a, a guiding sort of principle of mm-hmm. my childhood. Um, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I would come home very emotional about something. And there was no discussion about it. It was just my mother looking at me and saying, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I don't have time for this kind of nonsense. And you're going to have to learn how to deal with these sorts of problems on your own. I'm not going to be here forever in your life. And this is uh, the sort of, that sort of parent speech has fallen out of fashion. And um, as a consequence of that, I was forced to figure out how to deal with problems because Mm -hmm. my parents wouldn't deal with them for me. Yeah. So... I'm I'm thinking here that this is almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg? So was the feelings pushed because of culture or was feelings and feeling our feelings, was that pushed because of mental health? It was pushed because of mental health. Mm-hmm. The, um, the okay. first person to push this was a guy named Chaim Gannat, a New York psychiatrist or psychologist who wrote a book called Between Parent and Child, first published in 1965 in which he stressed the importance of understanding children's feelings. And this morphed into, and rather rapidly in the mental health uh, fields, um, morphed into a parenting narrative. And again, the narrative uh, today is good parenting is all about helping children express their feelings. It's all about uh, talking to children about their feelings. It's all about helping children get in touch with their feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, It's giving children freedom to express their feelings. It's understanding the content of children's Mm -hmm. feelings, et cetera, et cetera. And where is the evidence that this has paid off in terms Mm -hmm. of more positive child mental health? The answer, there is none. Well, and I ask that because we're seeing feelings 
everywhere, not just in the mental health realm, but we're seeing it in the Christian realm. We're seeing it in business, politics. We're seeing the feelings everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see it uh, in in the rulings of liberal jurists, you know. I mean, the, the, they make rulings based on, um, well, this is going to make people feel bad, you know, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. along those lines. I don't know. I've, I've searched the uh, U.S. Constitution and failed to find anything in there uh, relative to uh, the need to make people feel good about themselves or their feelings mm-hmm. or anything else. Right. What, what I want to emphasize is, you know, going back to your original question, Trace, is that there's absolutely no evidence that uh, mental health professionals have improved the mental health of children. And in fact, if we simply look at statistics, the only commonsensical conclusion to reach is that the mental health professions have significantly contributed to a precipitous post-1960s decline in child mental health. Mm-hmm. We're talking with John Roseman today on Licensed to Parent. It's time for a break. We'll be back soon and continue this conversation on mental health, feelings, and our kids. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by Hi, folks. Trace Embry here, host of the Licensed to Parent broadcast and founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago when Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded. It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to His word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith truly is. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, an extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You can learn more about Shepherd's Hill by going to licensedtoparent.org. We are talking today with John Rosemond, psychologist and parenting expert. 
Well, John, let me ask you this. Uh, when, when parents are too quick to uh, write off Junior's evil or, or rebellious behaviors to a, a mental health condition, what are some of the things that uh, they can likely look forward to? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the mental health paradigm in America today concerning children consists of three words, uh, test, diagnose, medicate. And uh, that's what they do. It's almost like an assembly line approach. Uh, the, the child's parents call for an appointment. They go in for the appointment. The child is tested, diagnosed, and medicated. Next, mm-hmm. test, diagnose, medicate. Next, test, diagnose, mm-hmm. medicate. And what America's parents don't understand and wouldn't understand uh, unless they have gone through the mental health training process uh, that I went through, is that these tests don't really advance the clinician's understanding of the child's uh, problems or understanding of a proper treatment modality. The diagnoses are, have no scientific or medical credibility or validity whatsoever. And the medications in question, psychiatric medications, uh, are vetted by the Food and Drug Administration using an entirely different standard than would be used for a drug designed to intervene in a verifiable physical disease because if the FDA used the same standard with psychiatric drugs, no psychiatric drug would be allowed to be marketed. That's right. No, uh, right. These drugs don't outperform placebos in double-blind clinical trials at a reliable level. If a parent says to me, well, my child's behavior is better when he's on Ritalin or better when he's on you know, whatever antidepressant, I go, yeah, The I t- I'm telling you these drugs don't outperform placebos, and the placebo effect is highly powerful. But the fact of the matter is that the placebo that you're giving your child is unnecessary and expensive and in the long term has been proven to be disadvantageous, which is why they keep changing the medication. Well, we'll try a new medication, Mrs. Well, Jones. Yeah, um, you, you, I, 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 I get this all the time. But, uh, but even if the drug did outperform the placebo, you know, it, usually after a couple of years, there's a tolerance developed to it, and Junior's right back to a situation where he needs a, a different drug or a larger dose of the same drug or, or whatever. It, it's not a long-term fix. It's not. It's it's not a fix at all. It's a it's a, it's a band-aid uh, for something that needs stitches. And um, uh, I would say it's just a, going back to what you said earlier. It's just a, uh, meeting these kids at the point of their need, which is uh, some more um, Christ-like, biblically um, sound parenting tactics in, in, in many cases. Mm-hmm. But so many kids are diagnosed with ADHD today. Um, can they be made to sit still and behave themselves? Can they be made? Well, my son, when he was 10 years old, and, and all of the, the most valuable education I received was courtesy of my son, our first child, uh, born mm-hmm. in 1969, 
1979, his third grade teacher, Mrs. Stewart, told us very straight faced. She was a very rational, uh, good teacher. Um, she looked at us straight faced and said, your son is the worst behaved child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. Mm-hmm. We, uh, at the time I was not a believer, but we reverted my wife and I almost instantly realizing what a, what a disaster we had bought into and, um, how disastrous it had been for our family. And uh, we reverted and just became overnight our parents, you know, and began raising our kids the way we ourselves were raised, with the same attitude, with the same methodology. And uh, it produced what Mrs. Stewart called a miracle. Three months later, in April, a child who in January qualified objectively for four diagnoses. ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, bipolar disorder of childhood, and a learning disability, and extreme in every case, was completely cured. And Mrs. Stewart looked at us at a meeting in April and said, I don't know what you're doing. Keep on doing it. I feel like I've seen a miracle occur over the last three months. He is now one of the most well-behaved, conscientious students I have seen in 20 years of teaching. During this three months, he took no medication. He received no counseling. We received no counseling. Um, And we told him at the beginning of his uh, rehabilitation, which started in January, right after the meeting with Mrs. Stewart, Uh, We're no longer helping you with your homework. Not at all. We're not answering questions, demonstrating anything, clarifying directions. Uh, We're not uh, checking your work. We're not even going to ask you if you have homework. Uh, (laughs) If you want to get to the fourth grade, Eric, figure out how to get there. And I realized at that point that if Eric could be cured by simply using 1950s parenting methods, then everything I had learned in graduate school was wrong. And I began to dedicate my entire mission and ministry to America's parents, to helping America's parents understand that the mental health uh, professional community in America is not their friend. Mm -hmm. John, why aren't more people, why aren't more parents aware of this? Well, I've been screaming it for years. That's a good question, Trace. <laughs> you know, we are a media culture, and the fact is that uh, whoever secures, seizes the loudest microphone That's is it. going to be able to get their message out. I've been screaming this through my nationally syndicated newspaper column, which I retired a few months ago. Um, after 47 years, I've been screaming it in my books. I've been screaming it over the Internet. Uh, but but the mental health professions are a lobby, in effect. Right. They've got a louder microphone, and so and mm. and and it's it, you got to factor this in too. That American parents think either or, and so when their child develops a problem of whatever sort, um, what they believe is either. The child's problem is due to some biological, neurological, biochemical 
condition that they had nothing to do with or the child's problem has to do with the way they raised the child. And so when a therapist says, and this is what they say, when a therapist says, you had nothing to do with this, this is all about your child's biochemistry, this is all about your child's neurology, uh, this is all about uh, micro lesions on your child's brain that not even an MRI can detect. Um, the parents embrace this explanation because it absolves them of any and all responsibility. The mental health professions are, in effect, enabling the parents' denial that they didn't have anything to do with the problem. And I keep saying to parents, look, if you accept that you had something to do with the problem, then you can do something about the problem. You don't need to rely on bogus medications and bogus therapies. You don't have to pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for various treatments if you understand you can do something about a problem that you had something to do with. Right. You know, I couldn't think of a more appropriate time to pull this thing out. I, I keep this in my Bible. This is a letter that was sent to me because I see what, what, you're, what you just said, I see all the time. So this is the parent who wrote to his son. Uh, he's a, a medical doctor. His wife's a medical doctor. And here's what he wrote. He said, Dear Robert, when you were in preschool, you were diagnosed as having ADHD. In fifth grade, the school psychiatrist diagnosed you as having Asperger's syndrome. At Cardin Conservatory, your diagnosis were oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder. At College Hospital, you were diagnosed with thought disorder and psychosis. At Aurora Hospital, you were diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. From my perspective, none of the treatments for any of these problems had any beneficial effect on you. I may be wrong, but I suspect that the people at Shepherd's Hill are a bit skeptical about the existence of all these disorders. Trace Embry lists most of these problems as ones he feels can be effectively treated at Shepherd's Hill. But he also lists one other diagnosis that psychologists and psychiatrists never talk about. Garden variety spoiled brat. When we talked to him, he also mentioned the word sin. At Shepherd's Hill, all of your psychiatric problems seem to have disappeared. Your letters to mom are insightful and coherent and well-written. You're doing well in school. You're doing your homework. You have successfully changed your behavior. The reason may be only to avoid consequences, but you have changed your behavior. People with psychiatric disorders don't suddenly become cured with a change in environment. I think the staff at Shepherd's Hill may have a lot better insight into behavior problems in teenagers than do psychiatrists and psychologists. What do you think? Love, Dad. Is that not powerful or what? <laughs> that is powerful. John, thank you for your wisdom and thanks for joining us on Licensed to Parent today. This has been a fascinating discussion. Well, I've, I've enjoyed it, and God bless you guys. God bless uh, the work you're doing through Shepherd's Hill. And please know that I'm uh, ready and willing to come on uh, Licensed to Parent at, uh, at a moment's notice. God bless you, yeah. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent was John Rosamond. You can find out more information on John at johnrosamond.com. Thanks for listening to Licensed to Parent. You know, here at Shepherd's Hill Academy, we are continuing the construction work on our campus. Our students and teachers alike are going to benefit from these changes. And we're asking you if you would consider helping us in this effort. 
You know, a donation of any amount would help us tremendously. You can donate online at licensedaparent.org and click the donate button. Thanks to our team for making today possible. Our producer is Rich Rosel. Carl Peets is our technical producer. For Trace Embry, I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.